What's going on, Thrive Church family? We're so grateful you're tuning into this week's podcast. We pray this message will bless you in the same way it has blessed our house this past Sunday. All right, 11 o'clock. How are we doing today? Come on. Y'all came ready. I like it. Got the coffee going. New year, new me. Okay, I feel it. I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm so excited for what God's doing in this room. And uh, let's go ahead and jump right into the message. Do me a favor. Stand your feet with me. Come on, let's do it. And we're going to be continuing our series entitled The New. We've been on this series last week, continuing it, and we're going to conclude it at our Vision Sunday next week as God is doing a new thing in us and with us. Talked about this a little bit last week. How many know that when God wants to do a new thing, that's amazing, but that means we got to love change as well. And so we're going to continue with that thought, how God changes and transforms, transforms us. Last week, we're in the Old Testament in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Next week, we're in the, or this week, we're in the first book of the New Testament. So turn to the book of Matthew chapter 9. Here we go. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. It says this. It says, and Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew. Everybody say Matthew. Matthew. Sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at a table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12. But when he heard it, he said, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Come on, can I get an amen on that one? Such a good verse. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, let me get out of the way. Speak to us. Do what you want to do in our lives and our hearts. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And so if you're taking notes today, I want to talk to you about this idea from Levi to Matthew, from Levi to Matthew. And actually, um, I have the incredible privilege, something you might not know if you're kind of newer or maybe you've been here for a little bit. Um, I have the incredible privilege as your lead pastor, and I want to thank you for this because without you, without you allowing me to do this and believing and championing in us and me, um, I wouldn't be able to get to do this. I travel pretty often. Um, I travel all over the U.S. I've never been out of the country, though, so... I'm just in the U.S. Um, people try to say like they have like global ministries and they've only been to like Mexico once. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, no, no, no. I've only been in the U.S., okay? Uh, but I travel pretty often. I preach churches, conferences, camps. Um, I've been doing it since I was really 15, 16 years old. And so I have done this message. I'm not going to lie to you. I have done this message probably in 10 different states all over the U.S., this is my life message. If there's anything that I would say, my go-to life message that I believe that God has done something in me and I communicate, it is this message. However, I realized a few weeks ago that I have never done this message here at home on a Sunday. Never. I've done it at youth, but I've never done it here at home on a Sunday. And so I'm excited to share this with you. And I think the reason for me why I am the most excited and why this message has embodied me as a preacher and as a pastor, as someone who is a communicator of the gospel, it's because when you read that passage, Matthew 9, it's ridiculously amazing. We have in this story a guy named Matthew. And Matthew is a tax collector. And it's very simple. Jesus asks this tax collector to follow him. 
But if you were to understand the context of the story, you would realize how incredible it is. And I pray that I can do that this morning. I believe God wants to unpack some things from this story because I believe God wants to show us some things to call us into a deeper relationship with him. Now, I want to explain something before I get into this. What we need to understand, let me give you a little bit of Bible, is that the Gospels, there's four of them, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and cool. Four people got extra credit. Cool. Some of y'all are like, wait, what are we doing? Yeah, okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most scholars believe that the book of Mark was written first. So what you need to understand about the Bible, if you don't know this, is that the Bible is not written in chronological order, meaning that if it was written at a certain time, that's not necessarily mean that it's in the same order or sequence of the consistent books. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Okay, for example, let me just give you like an Old Testament of an example. Uh, the book of Psalms was definitely written before the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, but it's put afterward because of just the way it's categorized. So it's not all in chronological order. So most scholars believe that the first book, and it's actually, if you kind of do some research, there's actually a gospel story that they reference to. But the first writer to write one of these four gospels was the, was the gospel of Mark, which is the second one. And in the gospel of Mark, you have the same story. This story shows up in the gospels three times. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Luke. The story of a man named Matthew who was a tax collector that Jesus called. I have learned this. When it makes it into one gospel, it's important. If it makes it into two gospels, it's really important. If it makes it into three gospels, it's really, really important. And if it makes it into all four gospels, then y'all better memorize it. You know what I'm talking about. That means the Holy Spirit wanted all four writers to make sure. So this one made it into three. But there's a very interesting thing you find. Mark says in his gospel that the man that was sitting at the tax collector booth was a man named Levi. Most scholars believe that they argue between Luke and Matthew, but most scholars believe that Luke was written second because Luke and Acts were written together as one letter. And it says that in Luke, there was a tax collector sitting at a table that Jesus made his disciple and his name was also Levi. And then we get to Matthew. And what we find is that the author of the book of Matthew is the same guy in the story we're reading. So the Matthew who wrote Matthew is the Matthew who we're talking about in Matthew. Does that make sense? Try to say that like four times real fast. Like don't do that, right? And interestingly enough, Matthew, who is an apostle, a disciple, refers himself in his gospel, not by his old name, but by his new name. He doesn't call himself Levi. He calls himself Matthew. See, the other gospel writers refer to him as Levi, but Matthew refers to himself as Matthew, which I believe this. That means that God changed his name from Levi to Matthew. And here's what I've learned, that when God changes someone's name, not only does it mean a new season, not only does it mean a new vision, it also means that God is transforming something from the inside out. And so let me kind of bring this thought to kind of a main focus that I want to talk about today. It's that we all have moments that define us. We all have moments that define us. I know we live life in the mundane, and it's very important to follow Jesus in the mundane. But if we could be honest with ourselves, we all have moments that define us. Some of you in the room, a defining moment is when you got saved. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? You remember what it was like before you met Jesus? Now, how many in the room, you would say you love God and you're saved and Jesus rescued you? Anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? Like 5, 10, 15, 20. Hopefully some like likes online. I don't know what's happening. Cool. 
That's a big deal. That's a defining moment of your life. Here's another one. When you have kids, parents, can I get a witness? And some of you are like, it's amazing. And some of you are like, I lost my life. They took it. They robbed me. They robbed me of my bank account. They robbed, they robbed me. Yeah, it feels like that. It's true sometimes, right? Defining moment when you have kids. How about when you get married? Any married couples in the house? Okay. Any single people in the house? <laughs> so the joke was going to be that single people are always louder than married people, but no single people were excited about that one in this experience today. It was like any single, the single people were like, mm, they're going to get me on that Instagram if I raise my hand. We got one person proud. We love you, bro. Good job. Yeah, good job. Yeah, loving Jesus single and ready to mingle. We get it. I get it. Okay, come on. No, seriously, though, when I go to conferences and I say that joke, I'm like, who's married? Like, eh, four people. Because everyone's, like, suffering in their marriage, apparently. And I'm like, who's? And then everyone's like, who's single? And everyone's like, woo. And then I'm like, what y'all excited about? You know? Marriage is a defining moment. Kids are defining moments. I think about the greatest days of your life, right? That birthday you love, the theme park you went to. I remember when I was younger, I, I, I was, I'm, I'm not good at sports. Like, look at me. Like, I don't look like, like, let's call a spade a spade. You don't, like, come on, y'all. You fellas, you ain't looking at Pastor Chris and be like, let me text him because we need a fifth man a hoop. Like, like, no. If you need a guy in the bench telling you what to do and don't know what they're doing, that's me. But I... I ain't going to be the guy to help you hoop. I'm not, and I'm just not good. But I played baseball when I was a little kid for a little bit, and I was horrible, so they put me on right field. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was like Little League, so they put me all the way in the corner. And some guy boom, hit it, right? Just a dinger. Hit it, went all the way my way, and I ran, and I slid on my knees, and I caught the ball. It was one of the greatest moments. It was the game-winning catch. Your boy, your pastor, he was on cloud nine, man. Like, I know I'm short, and I know I can't do nothing, but I did that. My teammates, like, carried me off the field. It was the only moment my dad was proud of me. I'm just kidding. No, but I'm just. <laughs> right? Defining moment. Defining moment. We all have those. We all have defining moments that, that really kind of make us who we are. And then on the other way, we do have defining moments that are negative, and we do have moments that are bad. We have moments that were horrible. We have moments of abuse and injustice. We have moments of things that happened to us that should have never happened to us. And what I have learned is that oftentimes individuals will define their whole life and who they are based on a moment of what they've been through. In particular, I find interesting that for some of us in the room, especially if that moment was your fault, you might have sinned for 10 minutes, like the actual sin only took 10 minutes, but you have been living with the consequences for 10, 20, 30 years. Moments define us in one way or another, whether we like it or not. But I came to tell someone today that there is good news, that just because your moment has defined you does not mean that God is not willing to exchange that moment with his moment. Can I tell you today that you and I worship a God and know a God and serve a God and love of God who is the God of moments. And he's willing to take my moments, my broken moments, my hurting moments, my sin moments, my lost moments, my shame moments, 
my embarrassment moments, my guilty moments, my injustice moments, the moments of abuse and shame and turmoil and circumstance. And he would say, if you would give me those moments, watch the moments that I would give with you. If you would allow your moments to become my moments, watch what begins to take place. Here we have in this story, Levi or Matthew, his old name is Levi, has been living a life of broken moments. Jews don't become tax collectors. Some of you think, oh, it's just a tax collector. They work for the IRS. No, that's not what that is. And some of you are like, if you work for the IRS, we still kind of look down on you. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you work for the IRS, I'm just playing. Keep tithing. You're good, okay? And uh, man, in that day and time, the lowest of society were prostitutes, shepherds, and tax collectors. And what you notice in the Gospels is that Jesus spends the most time with tax collectors, shepherds, and prostitutes. Why? Because Jesus loves coming to broken people. We do not serve a God who is self-righteous, but that in his righteousness, we become righteous. And that through Jesus and his blood, he makes us holy, but he's not scared to get in the mess. The Bible says that Levi is a tax collector. Tax collectors are some of the lowest forms of society of employment and vocation. And part of it is this, two reasons. One, tax collectors were notorious of stealing from people. They would take more than they were supposed to because they wanted to feed themselves and just kind of take advantage. We find this with Zacchaeus. I don't know if you remember that story in the book of Luke where Zacchaeus was also a tax collector. God calls Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus says this phrase. He says, I have paid everyone back seven times more than what they gave me. Why? Because he stole from them. So tax collectors were notorious for stealing from people. Also, tax collectors worked for Caesar and Rome and not for the nation and the Jewish people. So the Jewish people always considered the Roman Empire as the enemy to the Jewish state. And so if you worked for Caesar, you're an enemy of God. That's how they described it. Here's Levi at a tax collector booth doing the job that his parents are probably ashamed of. And what we find actually in scripture, and if you go to the names real quick, is that Levi is a Hebrew name and it means joined to. And so Levi comes from Hebrew tradition. It's the reason why in actually the book of Matthew, I'm giving you all a little bit of Bible today. Is that cool? In the book of Matthew, there is more Old Testament references in the book of Matthew than any other gospel. It's because Levi is a Jew. Levi is a Jewish man. Levi is a Jewish young man who ends up getting following Jesus. And because of this, he writes his gospel to the Jewish people to explain to his people who the Messiah actually is. But why that matters is because as he's growing up and then becomes now a tax collector, he forsakes all of his Jewish roots and decides to be the very thing that he was not supposed to be in his upbringing. And part of it in culture is this, is that if you were a young man, the highest vocation the place of honor, the, the, the job everybody wanted was to be a follower of a teacher or a rabbi. By the time you were 14, 15, a rabbi would come and decide if you were chosen, if you were good enough, if you were worthy. And most of the time, if you were 15 or 16 by then, and you did not get cho chosen by a rabbi, then you often went into the vocation or job of what your family members did. Now, we don't know about Matthew's parents, but what we do know is as a Jew, it's really unlikely that his parents were tax collectors. And so he decided to take the shortcut because he experienced failure. 
I don't know about you, but how many times have we taken the shortcut because our lives didn't amount to what we thought God was going to do or what we wanted to do? So Levi, every day, is going to a tax collector booth, and Levi is going into an occupation and a job and a lifestyle that he was never intended to be in. He's the lowest of low, and no one cares about him. And here's a crazier thing about tax collectors. Tax collectors were often associated with sinners. And the Bible often associates that word sinners with the word sexually immoral people or prostitutes. So the Bible says even later on in this chapter, right, in verse 12 or 13, it says, who are these tax collectors and sinners? So Levi's homies were all the wrong crowd. I don't know about you, but I'm preaching to myself real quick. Because I know what it's like to not have the right crowd. I know what it's like to be in somewhere where I shouldn't be. I know what it's like to feel like no one wants me and no one cares. I know what it feels like to take shortcuts to make myself feel better, even though I know it's making me miserable at the same time. I know to be in a place where I know I'm not supposed to be in, but yet I'm choosing to be in that place because that's just all I guess life is. And, and apparently life's been hard. And what I have learned in this story is that I can relate because in many ways I am Levi. In many ways, I am guilty of sin and shame and condemnation. In many ways, I have done things I am not proud of. And in many ways, I have felt lonely and abandoned and overlooked. I don't know about you, but if you are coming into 2024 feeling lonely, feeling overlooked, feeling abandoned, my friend, you are in company because the Bible oftentimes finds people all throughout Scripture. The heroes of this book are not people who are extremely gifted, who are not people that were all perfect, and were not people that were all together. They're actually people that were messed up, screwed up, and jacked up like Levi. And here in the story is crazy. You find that Jesus stops on his way to go do something. It wasn't even like he stopped for Levi. He was on his way to do something else. And the Bible says that as he's with his people, because now he's got a crowd. We're in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 4, 3, he's kind of by himself. But by Matthew chapter 9, he's got some disciples. He's got some people. He's got a posse. He's got a crew. He's got some people seeing if he's going to do a miracle. He's got some people following him. And so next thing you know, Jesus stops everyone following him, looks at this dude at a tax booth, and says, you come follow me. Family, there is no reason why God would want someone like Levi. The story of Matthew and Levi in this chapter is the story of the scandalous grace of the gospel. Meaning, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You should have never gotten it. God shouldn't want you. No one else wanted you. Why, if no one else wanted you, would God want you? In my life, as I was living in my life without a mother figure and a father figure, because they left me and they broke, they were abandoned me, why would God want me? Why would anyone want me? I felt lost. I felt broken. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I felt like an orphan. And in the midst of all that, God comes down in my midst, and God decides to step onto the scene of my life in the same way that he's steps into the scene of Levi in the same way that he can step into the scene of your life today and would say, you come follow me. Why? Because I want a real relationship with you. I am not interested in just having a faraway relationship. I'm interested in you following me. It doesn't make sense because Levi is not qualified at all. Levi is the wrong person. I can imagine even in that moment, right? Like, I'm not saying this is true. This is like the Chris Goes international version of the Bible, okay? Right? Peter, Peter has a loud mouth. Peter's the loud mouth guy. And Peter's just like, right? Jesus is stopping, looks at the tax collector guy. Peter's like, Jesus, what you doing, bro? Like, we gotta go. We got, we got an appointment. You gotta go preach. You gotta go do some things. 
And he's like, he points to the guy. And Peter's like, hold on, pause. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, come here, come here. You know, you know, you know that's a tax collector, right? Right? Like, you know, you know, we don't, we don't hang out with him. We don't associate with those people. Jesus, don't you know we don't associate these people? Don't you know it's like Raider fans and Niner fans hanging out? Don't you know? We don't talk to them. Why are you talking to him? And Jesus just like, I just imagine Jesus is like, I'm not even going to talk to you, bro. You don't even know what I'm doing right now. You learned that all throughout scripture that Peter just be saying things and Jesus is like, whatever. Okay, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. And he says, come follow me. I love that. Because God calls people to a relationship with him who don't deserve a relationship with him. God goes to those who are sick. And here's the other thing I've realized. All throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, you don't get saved because you say a prayer. You get saved because you follow a person. Salvation comes to Levi's house, Matthew's house, not because he said a sinner's prayer, although we do that here where we'll pray together. That prayer, what I believe is doing, is opening your heart to start a relationship of following. If you say a sinner's prayer and you think all of a sudden you're good and you got a get out of jail free card, you have missed the gospel. God is more interested in you being with him than you are not going to hell. If you think that Christianity is all about not going to hell, you've missed the whole thing. Christianity is not about you not going to hell. Christianity is about a person, is about a man, and his name is Jesus, who came and died for you because he loved you, who rose again. Why? Because he loved you and is coming back again. Why? Because he loves you and wants you and desires you and desires to have a real, authentic, passionate relationship with you. And the only way that happens is he wants you close to him so he will call you to him he is not calling Levi to ministry he is not calling Levi to preaching he is not calling Levi to a church service he is not calling Levi to just do just the Christian thing no he says Levi you are called to me and family I believe that's what God would tell you today before 2024 really kicks off can you allow God to call you to him to a person. And yes, we express that love of devotion and commitment and discipleship through the local church and through together we follow Jesus. But let's not get it twisted. God is not calling us to a church service. God is not calling us to a theological concept of just getting to heaven. Although heaven's really, really great and you should go there because hell sucks. I'm just saying. He's calling him to him. My friends, he's calling you to him today. He's calling you to a person, his son. The Holy Spirit is calling you to the person who died for your sins and who could rescue you and transform you. He is calling you. This is the gospel. This is why this is my life message is I would go all over. If God would permit me to continue to preach this message, I will that people on earth need to know that God loves you and he cares for you and he wants you, but that means you also got to follow him in the process. Because here's what I believe. God changes his name from Levi, which is joined to. Levi is connected to things he's not supposed to be. And he changes it to Matthew, which is gift of God. You know what I've learned when God changes people's names in the Bible? Their old name was disconnected from God's character and nature. And then their new name is connected to God's character and nature. Because we only find our true identity in God's character and nature. Here's what I believe. Go to that next slide. 
I want you to walk with me with this. Levi sat. Jesus called. Matthew followed. Some of y'all got it, but I don't know if you did it. Let me, let me explain. Let me say it. So, so Levi, Levi's there at this tax collector booth. Week in, week out, day in, day out. Miserable, embarrassed, shame, lifestyle of sin. His consistent behavior is I go, I get these taxes, I steal these taxes. I'm going to go waste it on lawlessness. I'm going to waste it on sin. I'm going to waste it on brokenness, right? I'm going to be all messed up and jacked up and screwed up. I'm going to do it the next day and the next day and the next day. I, I don't know if you're like that, where you feel like you're in a cycle of sin that you can't get out of. But can I tell you today? that Jesus is the solution to the cycle of sin you can't get out of. When did you think that it was okay for you to be stuck? Who told you the lie that you're stuck? Who told you the lie that nothing can change? Who told you the lie that this is how it's just going to be forever? And who told you the lie that it's too late? Because can I tell you today, it is not too late. Levi, he's sitting at this tax collector booth, right? He's sitting. He's sitting at this tax collector booth, week in, week out, doing whatever he needs to do. And all of a sudden, on a random day, the Bible says that Jesus, the Messiah, the God of the universe, the one who tells Levi how many head hairs he has on his head, the one that decides how mountains, how tall they are, and, and the oceans. And you've heard me say this because of the glorious majesty of God. He's the ones that put stars in the sky with his finger just because they look pretty. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. He's the one who controls all things, and he decides to stop heaven and hell and earth. Why? Because when Jesus was on earth, all of heaven was focused on him and all of hell was focused on him and everyone that was around him was always focused on him because the Messiah is walking. It's John 1, 1. It's the word becoming flesh and Jesus on his way to do something else decides to stop for a person who never gets attention, who no one really loves, who no one really trusts, who isn't qualified, who's all messed up, jacked up and screwed up and says, you, Jesus. And, and imagine Levi's like me, you. Come follow me. Can I tell you? I believe those are the two most dangerous words in all of Scripture when Jesus says, follow me. And Levi, the Bible says, gets up and leaves the table. I believe this, that it wasn't until Levi got up that he became Matthew. Because Levi can't follow Jesus, but Matthew can because Ma Ma Matthew is the new identity that God's giving him, right? Matthew is the new purpose that God's giving him. Matthew is the new vision that God's giving him. Matthew is the new thing that God is doing in his life. And can I tell you that if you're trying to follow Jesus in 2024, but you're still acting like your old self in 2023, it's not going to work out. Why? Because God's trying to do a new thing. And you that means that you can't allow the things that left in 2023 continue in 2024. Levi sat. Jesus called. Matthew followed. You know, you know, you know what that tells me? That on the other side of your obedience is transformation. If you've been wanting God to change some things, it's not because he doesn't want to. It's because we aren't willing to make the move. On the other side of your obedience is transformation. God changes his name from Levi to Matt. And I imagine that while Matthew is following Jesus, God's got to do some things. The disciples got to work on some things. They got to get some things out of them. Yes, it's all part of the process. But can I tell you that God is not interested in you staying the same? Like I said last week, if you came today and you say like 20 cuss words a week, let's just say in five years, you should not still say 20 cuss words a week. If you're really following Jesus, I'm just using that like as a numeric example. There's a bunch of other things. I don't know what everything you want to do. You can go ahead and use it. I'm just saying, if you're going to go to this church, we are not going to let you just stay the same because God isn't interested in you 
becoming more of you. God is interested in you becoming more of him. Matthew was the name that God needed to give him. And Matthew was the name that he ended up going along with his whole life. And we find that at the end of Matthew's life, he ends up becoming a martyr. The Bible's uh, history actually shares that. I didn't share this first service, but I think it's good for you to know the intensity of this man who lived in a lifestyle of complacency and apathy and sin too, at the end of his life, died in the nations of the earth. They killed him by literally peeling him his skin off. And he worshiped God in hymns the whole way through. How do you get from that to that? It's a man and his name is Jesus. Levi sat. Jesus called. Matthew followed. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He's one of my favorite authors. He says this. He says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow Christ. It calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Christ. Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Here, I got some good news for you. God wants you. God, come on, I know some of y'all, I don't think you get that, but man, God wants a relationship with you. That's the good news of the gospel, is that you're not too broken, you're not too dirty, you're not too lost, you're not too embarrassed, there's not too much shame, there's not too much condemnation, you haven't lied too much, there is nothing you can do that would keep God from wanting you in his life. Here's the bad news of the gospel, which is actually still good news, because all that's broken and messed up anyways. If you want Jesus, you come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. And as much as he's trying to heal you and resurrect you, he's also trying to kill the old you. God forbid you have heard a gospel that says, come as you are and stay as you are. What horrible preaching you've heard if you think Jesus is interested in giving you new life while you get to keep your old one. Like as if his blood and what he purchased wasn't enough to do the work. God forbid you've heard a fluffy cotton candy gospel. And even from this pulpit, if you've ever felt that, we repent if you've ever thought that you could come in and stay the way you came in. Because when you follow Jesus... He's going to take your old Levi and he's going to kill it and he's going to turn it into Matthew. He's going to take the things you were joined to and, and if I can metaphorically preach for a second, the joint things of sin and shame and the lies and the guilt and he's going to transform you to a gift of God. He's going to transform you into something that has life and is substance. That's something that's transformative. Something that is special. Something that is unique. Something that is powerful. Why? Because it's him. It's who he is. It's all he does. It's who the Jesus we serve. It's what he's in the business of. He did not come to heal the righteous, but he came to be a physician for sick people. Which means all are welcomed if they're sick, but you're going to get better when you see the physician. So such grace is costly because it will call a man, no matter what they've been to, it's grace, it's, it's free. But it's not cheap. Because for you to really find your life in Jesus, you got to lose your old one. Family, I think God's calling some of us in this room to lose your old one.
I think some of you have been hanging on to your old life far too long. And my friends, no wonder you think this Christian thing isn't working. You've never even given it a real shot because you haven't allowed him. And I'm not saying you have to be perfect and all of a sudden you're just like, no, nothing's wrong with you. No, 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 no. There's a process, I get it. But it's the commitment to the process to say, God, every single day you're crucifying me. Every single day you're killing these things that aren't supposed to be there. Every single day I am finding life in you as I let go of my old life in itself. It's the gospel. And I think the reason why we don't allow God to do this is because comfort will turn into your coffin. I'm going to say that one more time. Comfort will turn into your coffin. I don't believe the opposite of change is consistency. I believe the opposite of change and the antidote of change is comfort. We don't let God do the new thing because we're comfortable. And can I tell you, you will die in your comfortability. That oftentimes your comfortability will be the reason why there's a slow decay of spiritual death in your heart. So you need to let God call you to him. And for those in your room that have been saved for 20, 30 years, he's still calling you to him. When I was in my office before I preached this morning, he's calling me to him. And I thank God that he would find me worthy, even though I'm not worthy, but he would find me that he would want to be with me because I didn't even want to be with myself. My parents left me. My mom left me. My dad left me. I had no friends growing up. Why on earth would God want me? But yet God says, come follow me, son. And so here's the deal. I believe that all of us have a table we need to leave. What's that table that you need to leave? The table, maybe it's a table of comfortability, comfort, comfortability. Maybe, maybe it's a table of shame. Maybe it's a table of guilt. And can I tell you that God will call you away from your table and he invites you to his table. But man, what's that table today, family? What, what, what's that table? What's, what is it? Is it sin? Come on, what's the table? What's the table that you're sitting at that Levi sat at? What's the table? Is it shame? Is it hurt? Is it church hurt? Is it lies? Is it brokenness? Not brokenness like I'm broken before the Lord in a good way. No, like brokenness, like I don't want to get better and I'm bitter. Is it bitterness? Is it a table of unforgiveness? What is it? What's the thing that's keeping you? What's the thing that's keeping distance from you and God? What's the reason why you can't really follow him the way you know you're supposed to? What's the table? If you've never even left the table, then it's just easy. You've never left the table. And today God would say that you would leave the table. Have you gone back to a table you left because it was comfortable? What's the table? And I would say that Jesus would be walking in this room right now. I just, I just see it in my head. I believe it's the Holy Ghost. He's walking through the room and he's calling your heart. And he says, son or daughter, come, come, follow me. But I messed up. God, I'm so broken. I'm so, it's okay. Come follow me. God, you don't know what I did. I know exactly what, I, what you did. And I still want you to follow me. Come 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 close. Come follow me. Come follow me. Don't, don't look back. Come follow me. Come follow me. Because you don't need that table any longer. Stand to your feet with me. Once again, thank you so much for joining in and listening to the message brought to our house this past Sunday. We love you and we pray you have a blessed day and blessed week.